March 21st, and we are beginning Daniel 6. In terms of uh, history, we left Daniel 5 on the evening of October 12, 539 B.C., when uh, true to God's prophetic word through Daniel, as he interpreted the handwriting on the wall for King Belshazzar, uh, the Persians and the Medes, led by King Cyrus and uh, the other leader of, of the other part of the army, remember his name, Ugbaru, kind of an interesting name, they ingeniously, as you remember, conquer the city of Babylon, and they take it without a fight, and King Belshazzar is killed in the process. And that brings us back to the interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's first dream in Daniel 2. And it's an important for us to go back and remember that, and remember the image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in Daniel 2. Remember, Daniel said, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. And remember, it was later identified that represented Nebuchadnezzar. Its chest and arms were silver. Remember that? The silver chest and the silver arms represented the Medo-Persian Empire. And so just to review very briefly, remember there have been six major empires in world history. One, the Egyptian Empire. Two, the Assyrian Empire. Three is the Babylonian Empire that we're talking about here. And then the fourth is the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's uh, what we heard about uh, in Daniel 5, at the end of Daniel 5, when Cyrus and Uburu come in, uh, the Medo-Persians, and they take Babylon without a fight. Uh, and then uh, just to round it out, the, the fifth world empire that conquered the Medo-Persian Empire was the Grecian or the Greece Empire, and then, of course, the Roman Empire that, that followed. So Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream included this fourth empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, replacing Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian Empire, which, uh, remember, at the end of ch chapter 5, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar, or uh, the end of chapter 4, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to expand the empire a bit. Uh, he says, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. And so when Daniel told that to Nebuchadnezzar, he was talking about this, the Medo-Persian Empire. So keep the elements of the dream in mind. Head of the statue made of fine gold. That's King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And then the chest and arms were silver. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. In the dreams, the chest and the arms made of silver. Now, remember, the Medo-Persian Empire was led by King Cyrus, conquered Babylonia again in 539 B.C., ending the 87-year rule of the Babylonians. The Medo-Persian Empire that uh, began with King Cyrus and Ugbaru lasted actually about 200 years, so it lasted lo longer than the Babylonian Empire, but it was never quite as powerful 
as the Babylonian Empire and its final chapter under King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. In the metaphor of, of these minerals, gold is superior to silver. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, uh, and his kingdom, his empire would wind up being superior in strength and expanse to the Medo-Persians. So now we're at the dawning, the beginning of the fourth major world empire. Again, not as powerful as the Babylonian Empire un under uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, but one that has lasting power uh, some 200 years. Now we understand the Persia part of the Medo-Persian Empire. We talked about the Persians are from where, Lori? Um, Persians are from Iran. Exactly. Exactly. And you identified that, I think, last I, week. And I worked with a Persian um, in my first job. And yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I learned. <laughs> uh, brilliant guy. Um, and, and that's how I learned right first on, uh, firsthand um, about Persians. So we understand where the Persian part of Medo-Persia is from. Persians are from Iran. Under Darius the Great, whom we'll meet shortly, the empire extended from what's called the Caucasus, uh, which included uh, present-day Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, parts of southern Russia, and the home to the Caucasus Mountains, and, uh, and then West Asia, uh, to what was then Macedonia, which is today's Balkans, the Black Sea, Central Asia, uh, even into Africa, parts of Libya and Egypt. So it, it was a, a massive empire. And uh, he unified the empire through introducing standard currency and weights and measures, making Aramaic the, the official language and uh, building the roads. So a, a pretty expansive uh, empire under Darius the Great. Now, the Mede or the Medo part of the Medo-Persian empire refers to the Medes. And they <laughs> occupied much of uh, Western and Northwestern Iran. By about 600 BC, the empire of the Medes included the regions of Azerbaijan, to Central Asia and Afghanistan. And if um, Azerbaijan is on the um, west coast of the Caspian Sea, it's bordered, uh, if you think of it, by the southern tip of Western Russia. Remember, the, the western part of Russia has a, a southern tip that extends south and it touches Azerbaijan. And uh, next to Azerbaijan are Georgia and uh, Armenia to the west and Iran to the south. So if you think about uh, where the Medes are in Azerbaijan, you've got the tip of Russia to the north. You've got um, Georgia and Armenia to the west and Iran to the south. So that's where the Medes were, were from. Uh, Dr. John Walvoord uh, did a study on this, and he writes that toward the end of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the Persians began to become a powerful force 
and under Cyrus II, Media was conquered in 549 BC and it was combined with the empire of the Persians to form the Medo-Persian Empire. The combined strength of the Persians and the Medes led to conquest of Babylon in 539 BC, which is where we are right now, with the resulting extension of their empire over much of the Middle East and the conquest of Ale uh, until the conquest of Alexander the Great in 331 BC. Alexander the Great, of course, uh, uh, the leader of, of the Grecian uh, Empire that, that became then the fifth greatest empire. So that's uh, the, the best I can try to give you of the geographical political, political setting of Daniel 6. So as we read the first few verses of Daniel 6, there's this mysterious character named Darius the Mede. Here's what scripture says. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. All right. Who is this Darius the Mede? We, we don't hear of him before. Where, where did he come from? Who is he? Let's find out. Well, we don't exactly know, but there's a couple of good theories. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you uh, the most popular ones. One, which I'm not thinking is the best one, but it is a theory. In, these, uh, in the times that we're talking about, rulers would often take local names. And it's possible that King Cyrus, who led the overall conquering of Babylon, may have taken the name Darius. Mm. I don't think that's real likely, but it is a possibility. And number two, second theory, is that the ruler uh, named Darius may have been appointed by King Cyrus to rule over Babylon. This Darius could have been Ugbaru, remember, who had the command of the southern armies that went after they shut off the water uh, from the Euphrates River, uh, Ugbaru, if, if you remember, took the southern army under, um, now that it was dry, under the walls of Babylon, uh, came in on the inside of those walls and took Babylon without, uh, without a fight. So Ugbaru possibly uh, could be the same man as this Darius appointed by King Cyrus to rule over Babylon. And there's, there's even more theories that one being that Darius was a son of King Cyrus and Cyrus appointed him to rule over Babylon. Of all of them, I lean towards Ugbaru possibly being renamed Darius and uh, the one who actually led the troops under the walls of Babylon to take the city without a fight. Uh, but regardless of which theory you like what we know for sure is there was a ruler named Darius and he governed Babylon at the opening of Daniel's chapter six. So, uh, so let's move ahead in chapter six. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. Verse two, the king also chose Daniel 
and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. So one of Darius's first responsibilities, now that he's named uh, the, the ruler here, was to reorganize the Babylonian Empire. So administratively, 120 satraps, S-A-T-R-A-P-S, we've talked about them before. Administratively, 120 satraps were appointed over the 120 newly organized areas. Now, a satrap uh, was the name for a representative of the king. Uh, we could equate that to like a governor mm. over a province. So a tra satrap is really a, a, like a governor over a region or over uh, a province. So the 120 satraps or regional governors were supervised by three administrators, one of them being Daniel. So you have 120 satraps for 120 uh, provinces, and they're supervised by three administrators. So if you divide 120 by three, you get 40. So probably the span of control that, as, as we would say, would be each administrator was probably responsible for about 40 of these regional governors or, or satraps. So Daniel is named one of those three administrators supervising the, the satraps or the regional governors. Now, because of Daniel's training under Nebuchadnezzar, and his decades of high exemplary performance as a governmental official, the king decided, King Darius decided to give Daniel even more power and authority. And that led to some jealousy and some consternation among the two other administrators and the 120 satraps. They didn't like that very well. So look at what happened. Verse three, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. And so to uh, put it in theological terms, the political fallout hit the fan. Uh, <laughs> the, the other two administrators and the satraps just, just went ballistic. So here we go. Here's, here's where we see it roll out in verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So I think part of the jealousy here of Daniel being promoted, uh, actually now above the, the other two administrators, <coughs> excuse me, was that Daniel was a Jew. He was not a Babylonian. Uh, he was not a, a, a Greek or a Gentile like his fellow administrators and satraps. Since his underlings could not find any fault in Daniel in terms of his performance, they thought, well, let's look at his Jewishness. Let's look at his religion 
and let's see if we can find a way to to trip him up on his own religion and they they came up with a way verse uh, six so the administrators and high officers went to the king and said long live king darius remember if if you like to keep your head and and keep yourself in good graces before a king always say long live the king so they said long live king darius we are all in agreement we administrators officials high officers advisors and governors that the king should make it a law that will be strictly enforced give orders that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you your majesty will be thrown in the den of lions. Now, I can imagine Darius's ears are starting to perk up. Wow, I'm going to become the object of prayer over the next <laughs> 30 days, right? And then, and then they said, and now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot revoke, be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Now, I imagine he was pretty flattered by all of this. Yeah. Right? I mean, you've got two administrators, 120 satraps and everybody else in between. Yeah. And they're all going, yeah, we think everybody ought to pray to you for the next 30 days. And if we don't, let the lions eat them. And um, I'm thinking also because Darius appears to be very fond of Daniel and, and very supportive of him. I don't think Daniel even entered his thinking. I think he was so uh, uh, consumed and f by flattery that the whole thing about this might affect Daniel in a negative way, I think totally passed him by. So he signs the law totally unaware, oblivious to the underlying plot to trap Daniel. Now, let me stop for a minute. And let's take a look at how old Daniel is at this point. If we do the math, Daniel was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar at around 16 years of age in 605 BC. It is now 539 BC. So about 66 years have elapsed since Daniel was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So age 16 plus 66, he's about 82 years old right now, 82 years old. So at this point in life, Daniel's not going to bow down to any king in prayer, right? Every day, every day of his life, for all of those 66 years that he was uh, living and serving in Babylon, he went up to his room three times a day to pray and converse with God. So his opposition, they've sprung the trap, and here's what happens. Verse 10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, by, by the way, let, let me pause there for a second. In the Medo-Persian Empire, the legal system was somewhat like our legal system, or what it's supposed to be anyway, the rule of law. And so if Darius signs something into law, it is law. He does not have the power to override it if it's law now. All right. So th th this is the situation. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home 
and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together. to They formed a posse. They went together to Daniel's house, and they found him, as they knew they would, praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And then these guys say with glee, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Suddenly, it hits Darius in verse 14 that this trap has been sprung, and he's between a rock and a hard place. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. And again, the problem for King Darius here is unlike Nebuchadnezzar, who was the emperor, he was a, Nebuchadnezzar was a law unto himself. And he did, if he didn't like a law, he just changed it. King Darius was bound by the law. Remember, he was appointed by King Cyrus. So Darius has no authority to change the law once it's signed. So the other two scheming administrators in these 120 satraps had the law on their side. Remember, they said, sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. All right, so now King Darius is in a trap of his own. He's trapped by his own order. The law was the law, and yet he respected Daniel very deeply. And he was distressed over being caught in this trap cooked up by these guys. So ultimately, Darius is obliged to abide by the law of the land. And the law enforced him, forced him to, uh, to enforce it. So he ordered Daniel to be executed by the lions in the lion's den in this case, equivalent to capital punishment. In our day, it would have been the gas chamber or a lethal injection. In this day, you go into the lion's den and they rip you apart. Now, what's interesting to me, as we read on in verse 15, it seems that Darius has kind of this hint of faith that Daniel's God is going to bail Daniel out. Isn't that interesting? Well, look what look what happens here. It's not as if Darius has lost all hope. It seems like there's a glint of hope in him that Daniel's God is, is going to do it. Verse 15, in the evening, the men went together to the king and said, your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. Then the king said to him, and this is the line that I think is really important. 
may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. All right. So again, I think there's a, a kernel of faith in King Darius about this. And then there's a familiar action that take place, takes place. And I don't know that it's an intentional foreshadowing of the stone placed across Jesus's tomb, but look what happens here to Daniel. It just kind of reminded me of it as we head into the Passion Week, verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. Even Daniel says that, right? Long live the king. May God send his, uh, my God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Now, notice this reference here. My God sent his, what? Angel to shut the lions' mouth. This is reminiscent to me of that fourth body that was present with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, in, 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 the, in the fire, in the oven. And we believe, I think there's good evidence to say that for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they met the pre-incarnate Christ. That was the angel of the Lord that kept them from even being singed or having smoke on them in the in that fiery oven. Well, Daniel says that God sent an angel, and I'm thinking that that might have been the pre-incarnate Christ as well. Can't prove it, but I think to be consistent with the rest of the Old Testament, he might have met the pre-incarnate Christ there. Not sure, but I think it's a possibility. And I think there's also an interesting dynamic for Darius with this kernel of faith that he seemed to have that God, Daniel's God, would save him. Because notice, Darius doesn't just say, woe is me, and mope around with depression in his palace. As soon as the dawn dawns, he runs to the lion's den and he calls out for Daniel. So I, I think there's his faith is, is starting to uh, show here. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithful, able, uh, faithfully able to rescue from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. So, so Darius is overjoyed. Pastor but he Mike, also, yes. This is definitely a picture of Easter. Yes. Definitely. I mean, they wanted to kill Daniel, 
wanted to get rid of him because, I mean, for some of the same kind of reasons they wanted to get rid of Jesus. They didn't want him messing things up. Then the stone stood in their way, right? He stood in their way. Mm. Yes. And then early the next morning, the king hurried out. Well, the women hurried out to the, yeah. Well, so, I, <laughs> so much. I didn't so. even pick up on that, Anne. That's good. Good, <laughs> uh, good observation. And and what's interesting is that we would be studying Daniel. Yes. Approaching yes. Resurrection Sunday. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, so yeah, great, great observation there. So Darius is overjoyed for Daniel, but he also remembers the conniving and the deviousness yep. of these other administrators and 120 satraps. I like that story. You like that because story? I did, because I think that that is what many times we do not see the, the instantaneous um, um, consequence of, of our sin or our rebellion or whatever. And, and I don't believe that's what I liked about it. It was that they connived, they did this, and then they paid the price with their life. Yeah, they didn't have a Supreme Court to, to go to no. here for appeal. No, no. So well, verse 23, think, go ahead. I think also if somebody, because I've, I've recently heard about somebody being a, um, harassed at work <laughs> really the employee employer is being harassed by the employee oh. okay <laughs> which is sort and of that happens uh-huh yeah and mm-hmm. the fact of it as long as they keep doing the right thing that the person that's doing the evil will be paid off uh. sooner or later mm. The story yeah, is much bigger than wrong. that. I won't go into where and where and who. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. see, I think that a lot of times that's what's wrong is is that we reward people for that very issue. They come away because they want to just move it, move it out, move it on. So we'll just give you some money. Um, or in this situation. Maybe Darius could have just looked the other way and just gone on about his business. But I think that that's, I yeah. think there's something to be said that people need to see the, the consequences. Yeah. And, and when you pay somebody off in the workplace, that's not seeing consequences. That to mm-hmm. me is saying, okay, yeah. all right, I can maybe go and do that very thing. Yeah. So let's uh, let's see how that went down. Verse 23. <laughs> the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And then verse 24. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den. Wow. Along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. 
Um, there's a little bit of Nebuchadnezzarism here. Uh, it's, it seems to me a little ex excessive to excessive. execute the families, right? Yeah. Yes, that's but it's right. Typical, yeah. It's typical it is. of the pagan thinking. Yeah. They wipe, the, wipe them out so they can't pass it on to the next generation. Right. Yeah. Remember, yeah. Uh, remember we observed ne Nebuchadnezzar? Not only would he execute people, yeah. but he would uh, he would uh, re reduce their houses to rubble. Yeah, yeah. Well, that causes two things. One, if the people were inside, they probably died or were gravely injured. Yeah. Or B, if they weren't inside, all of their life history was gone. They had no yeah. place to go, and they were homeless without yeah. a history. And so I think this was part of, of the culture of the day. So, like I said, I think in Darius's actions here, you see a little bit of Nebuchadnezzarisms. Uh, yes, yes. Going uh -huh. on there, right? Yeah. Well, I want to uh -huh. say, although I wouldn't like it if it happened, but they may had the right way. <laughs> that could, could be. Although yeah. if it was, I would have probably been wiped out. My mother, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't be none of me. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I can see the thinking. <laughs> well, and I guess you could say this was the original cancel culture. Uh, That's suppose, right. That's right. right. Yes. All right. So now what follows afterwards is that King Darius makes a proclamation. And again, this proclamation reminds me of King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh boy, didn't it? Yeah. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Remember when oh, Nebuchadnezzar made that oh, complete yeah. turnaround and he yeah. proclaimed Daniel's God as the one true God? Well, look what King Darius does. Something very similar uh, at the end of chapter six here, uh, beginning in verse 25. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world, just as Nebuchadnezzar did. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miracles, signs, and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And then verse 28 says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now notice that Darius does not simply proclaim Daniel's God as the living God. He doesn't just say, Daniel's God is it. That's who you should worship. He provides the evidence yeah. to back up his proclamation. And, and uh, if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar did, did kind of the same thing. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. I mean, King Darius sounds like one of the Old Testament prophets here, like Isaiah. Yeah. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And I think uh, it, it's a good reminder for us as, as we conclude chapter six here that God, God is sovereign even over the most bleak situations that we face. 
And, and it's our faithfulness and perseverance under trial that God uses as a witness mm -hmm. to the unbelieving world. Uh, when we're up against it, when we're being attacked, when, when uh, we're the object of, of hate and, and scorn, how we respond has a very big impact upon the non-believing world. That's that first Peter 2.12 passage that I, that I cite a lot. So uh, I, I think God used Daniel here in a very powerful way to send a message to the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world in Babylon, that he indeed is the one true God. And, and just look at Daniel and his faithfulness under, under power. Uh, under persecution, rather. <clears throat> now, next week, chapter 7. That's going to require a little bit of introductory work next week because chapter 7 actually takes us back in time. It oh. actually takes us back 14 years. See, there was 14 years between the end of Daniel chapter 5 and the beginning of Daniel chapter 6. So we're going to go back now to the time of chapter 5. Remember uh, King Nabodinus came to power, and King Nabodinus was on the road a lot. Remember, he spent a lot of time in, in Arabia. Mm -hmm. and, and so he uh, made his son, Belshazzar, mm -hmm. or Belshazzar, the co-regent or the co-king, remember that? Because Belshazzar would, was going to be staying in Babylon. So we're going to go back essentially to the time of chapter five, to the time of when, when Daniel would have been, she's 82 now, he would have been about 68 years old at this point. And chapter seven is going to address another dream, but it's not it's not Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's not Belshazzar's dream. This is the dream that God gave Daniel himself at the same time that the events of chapter 5 were happening. And God presents Daniel with his own interpretation, which is going to weave itself into our past study of Revelation. So um, there, 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 there's a complex there's a complexity to uh, chapter seven. And so we're going to take our time with that next week to make sure that, uh, A, we understand we're going back in time now. It's happening at the same time as chapter five, and that this deals with Daniel's own dream that God gave him and how that weaves itself into our study of Revelation. So going to be really, uh, really very interesting next week in uh, in chapter seven. Okay. I hope I haven't confused anyone. No. And, uh, made that fairly, fairly plain. Any, uh, any questions or, or other observations before we close today? I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at, um, it's in a, it's a new living translation, but it's a recovery Bible. So it's got footnotes. <laughs> recovery oriented and um there where uh, the uh, king signed the bill 
it says here, it says we should always consider how our actions will affect other people. Because mm -hmm. he didn't think about, as you said, mm -hmm. he didn't think about, you know, he was just thinking about himself. And lots of times, I know me, I don't always make decisions based on what the outcome will be, whether it's about outcome for me or someone else. <laughs> yeah, and the and it, it it's the importance of thinking about and 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 searching for the unintended consequences. Yeah. You know, there are always not always, there are often unintended consequences yeah. that sometimes create collateral damage around us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because the idea seemed really good at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we didn't take the time to say, okay, these are the positives I see. What are the potential negatives? What are the yeah. potential negative consequences of, of my decision or yeah. whatever decision is, or the law that's being made? And you know what? Yeah, I, good would, point. I would learn that way long time ago because mm. <laughs> I only went with the decisions that sounded good at the time. Yeah. yeah. And I still had trouble with it. I'm pretty impulsive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's well, uh, I think great that lessons that's here. The way I think that that's the way that most people handle life. I don't think that they think about, I mean, why would a, why would somebody get behind the wheel of a car if they had been drinking, even if they felt like that they were not impaired? If you really think about the possibility of your consequences and, and what would happen if you were impaired and you take somebody out, I don't think that that's, I think that that. Darius is much more akin to the way most people think. Well, and, and, and you had that extra element of flattery there. You know, he's, uh, he's kind of consumed with being honored and the flattery and in the building him. I mean, that, I'm even sure that was, that was part of the, the plan and so uh, that element also blinded him to even thinking about the fact that, wow, this, this could negatively affect, uh, affect Daniel. So, um, John, are you still there? I'm still here. Would you, would you like to close us in prayer today? All right. Father. We have some very special time coming up, obviously. It's every year, but it's so special. Um, it's your son, Jesus. And it's uh, a, a good time to really spend, even though we know it, we've read it many times, is to go over it and spend it. And, and reading when Lord Jesus comes back, Rises again, the risen Lord Jesus, the mighty, the mighty hand, the mighty man of Jesus Christ. Uh, what does that really mean? Uh, how does that affect us every day in our work, in our life, in our pleasure? And where are we at with all this? Um, 
in the book of Daniel, and the things that we read and the things that we learn are given to us for a reason. And we don't always understand the reason, obviously, but when we when we really think about it and we study about it, and as we get older, we look over uh, the experiences in time that uh, we've been through, things really begin to make some sense. And the consequences of things that we do, we may not even know the consequences of those things forever. We might never know them. And yet we might see them as we're growing older uh, on decisions and things that we've done. Uh, that's why it's so important, in my opinion, is to just thank him every day for the day that he gives us and how we how we uh, negotiate that day and negotiating that day and the consequences of things that we do in that day will reflect on what happens the day after that day and for some time to come. Very important. That's why it really is important to be careful when you speak or get angry because those consequences can sure linger for a long time. And you really didn't mean it that way. Didn't really mean for that to happen like that, but it's what did happen. So make us aware of our everyday actions. And we just ask you for that. Um, you have a strength for the day. Uh, that's today. And, and we certainly uh, want to ask you for strength for tomorrow, even though it's not our time yet. But uh, when it does come, and we wake up, make us strong, give us courage, give us the opportunity to want to thank you for everything that you do for us and for our teaching, for our learning. Love you, Father. And we thank you in the name of your precious son, Jesus, for that. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen.